Well, just as we're starting this service, I uh, wanted to have you uh, watch a brief video, and I want you to bring to mind where you were at when you saw this happen. Can you picture it? Can you picture where you're at when you first saw those images on the screen? I remember like it was yesterday being at Willow Creek Community Church. We were in a large auditorium and they decided to put it up on the, the big screen so people could watch what was happening as these things transpired. It, it provoked a lot of emotions, didn't it? What were, what were some of the things when you saw those things happening? What, what came to mind? What were some of the emotions you were feeling? Sadness, that definitely hit us for sure. What were some other ones that you felt shock. You're like, wait a second. I thought we were safe in America. I thought we were absent of this kind of stuff. What, what else? What were a couple other things? Yeah. Fear. I heard anger. Definitely. I appreciate that. Somebody said that that was one of the things that, that stirred up your, and why is that? What provoked all of those things? What made you so aggravated, so fearful? And if you're honest, when we see visually the connection between someone's pain and the source of their pain, when we're able to make that connection, then you're, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, there's something in us about the uh, injustice, about the, the suffering. There's something in us that's just stirred. And hopefully, in most cases, that propels us to some sort of a response. I wonder this morning, just as we're looking at this text, as we're studying the book of Acts, what would happen if all of a sudden, and imagine with me, we were given glasses where we were able to actually see the source or root of people's spiritual issues. If all of a sudden you're able to see when you cross paths with somebody, if you're able to see like, oh man, that person clearly is suffering from depression from their past. That, that person is just head deep into an addiction. That, that person is just worshiping at the altar of materialism. What if our eyes were opened to the spiritual suffering in the same way that they were opened on that miserable day we watched that video for the very first time or even live, some of us? What if we were stirred by that in a similar fashion? What if something inside of us was was brought up, was provoked by the idols and things around us that imprison so many people that are behind the scenes. You can't see them. They're invisible, but yet still the effect of those things is nonetheless significant. So in that last scene with those guys just covered with dust from the debris and all of that, and I was thinking about that. What if our eyes were open to the spiritual dust and residue of all the junk that entangles people and keeps them from knowing the one true God? We're going to see in our this morning's section of scripture that this was exactly what happened to Paul. His eyes were open to the idols that were crippling people around him, and he was provoked to action. He couldn't stand by on the sidelines because he saw how much was at risk. Let me pray. We'll explore this section. 
God, I thank you so much this morning already for an opportunity to be together and to pause all the stuff going on in our weeks and lives, to slow down, put the attention on you, to put the uh, direction of our spotlight and gaze on Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. I thank you for that opportunity. I thank you for even the opportunity to hear of advancements of the gospel, even in Ethiopia and the faithfulness that's caused that. Pray that you'd speak to us now just through the study of your word, God, that we'd put distractions on the sidelines, even for a moment to hear from your spirit. And so we invite that, that your spirit would be working in this room and this wouldn't just add to a a mile high pile of messages we've heard, but you'd literally change us. We'd come out on the other side of this encounter with your word a little bit different, God. We believe that can happen. So we submit this time to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So chapter 17 in the book of Acts is where we're at. Love if you guys could look at that together, whether it's on a phone or in the Bible in the chair in front of you. Just working our way through this section, and it's an account of the early church and a historical account kind of action, play by play, if you will, of all that's going on as the church is beginning. And if you remember last week where we were coming from, we were seeing that Paul was basically and his buddies were being chased from town to town because they kept disturbing the peace. They kept taking these comfortable towns and stirring them up, shaking them up. Why? Because they were at risk. We found out that disturbing the peace is acceptable only in one situation is when someone's at risk of harm. And he recognized that as we're going to see even this morning that he's continuing to recognize harm as he moves to this new city or gets chased to this new city called Athens. A little bit about Athens in case you're you're wondering. First off, this would probably be out of the cities that they've visited so far. This is probably the most similar to L.A. Like this is the, the present day L.A. Kind of what happened in Athens literally rippled into the entire Roman Empire. Does that make sense? So the thing's kind of the, the center of, of culture. They're known for amazing art, entertainment, architecture, sports, and the most profound thinkers the most profound thinkers. So they were the kind of the, the where it's at. In fact, still you can visit Athens to this day. It's still the largest city in the Greece. And back then it was the largest city in that day as well. And so this was a major hub that he's showing up to. And they're known for all of these things, but they're also known for being the height of culture, but the depth of depravity. You see their, their, their searches and their pursuits had taken them down some really dark roads, but that doesn't mean they're absent of religion. Idols were everywhere you looked. In fact, I found interesting one uh, author, Roman satirist, wrote, it's easier to find a, a god in Athens than a man. Easier to find a god in Athens than a man. And I think that was uh, written by a woman. Uh, no, I'm not sure, actually. But here's the, the idea. They, they understood the same thing that John Calvin understood, that the human heart is a factory for idols. The human heart is a factory for idols because why? We're literally, it's in our DNA. We are designed to be worshipers. We were created to worship, and but literally with our free will, we're given the choice as to what is the object, are you tracking with me? The object of our worship. So because of that, man goes down every possible road looking for different idols or things to worship and comes back consistently wanting 
comes back consistently wanting, wanting. And here's the danger of idols, is what an idol does to someone, whether you realize it or not, is an idol either stops or pauses the pursuit of the true God. It either stops or pauses the pursuit of the true God. You see, when we have an idol in our life and you're like, oh, this is great, I'm satisfied in this, all of a sudden, what does that do? It puts the pursuit of the true God either on hold or a complete stop for that, for that pursuit because we settle so simply for silly stuff. We settle, in fact, my, we, we joke about this with our kids a lot of times when Adrian and I uh, want to go out for maybe a nicer meal we're like, well, the kids, we don't want to pay for them to go to a nice restaurant. They're content at home eating chicken nuggets. Anybody else guilty of this before? Where you're just like, all right, I'm going to leave. We're going to leave them with a TV dinner and, uh, and we're going out to the Cheesecake Factory. And uh, so here's the, that's the same idea is that's kind of how human nature works. We're just too easily content with nuggets. That's the idea and the problem with human nature in the pursuit of idols. So Paul shows up to the city, Athens, who's actually named after the god Athena. So he shows up there. And while he's waiting for his buddies to arrive before they start their public ministry, he goes on a little mini tour. We see it there in a text to kind of explore the city. And everywhere he looks, he sees more Idols, more idols. They're, they're every direction. I don't know if this was, in, when he describes idols, if it just had to do with physical ones, because there was plenty of those there for them to look at, or if he's also seeing behind the scenes, and this is probably what affects us more today, idols as far as things that have been elevated as a priority in people's lives. Things that consume their thinking, that consume their, their thought process, their, their, uh, their, their time, their engagement. I wonder if those are the idols. Thinking of a list this week of uh, some of the idols that we experience. Today's idols, maybe something on this list is an appealing one for you. Maybe pleasure, maybe materialism. See that everywhere. Entertainment, security, feeling safe, stimulants, things that move us, comforts, acceptance, family, or careers. See that list of different things, and a lot of those, you're just like, that's not, how did family make it on that list? You see, here's the funny thing with idols and why they're so uh, enticing, is it can be a good thing that's elevated above the best thing. It can be a good thing, and you're like, oh, family's great. But when it becomes a priority and that's greater than your relationship with God, that's a problem. And that's how idols work. So the question is, why are we not provoked like Paul was? Isn't that interesting? It says when he saw it, he was provoked. You ever been provoked for something, something that agitates you or gets at you? We're provoked if we're honest with like the stupidest stuff, right? The, the smallest things. How about mosquitoes? Anybody provoked by mosquitoes? How about referees? Anybody provoked by referees? How about taxes? Anybody provoked by taxes? Traffic? Anybody provoked? You, you see, the, the, the smallest things provoke us, but one, if we're honest, we can look at a list like that. Like, yeah, nothing there really bothers me. Why, why is that? Why is our stomach not turned when we see a list like that? Why, why is the potential harm that those can cause for the non-believer and the believer, why is that not evoke some kind of a response in our lives? A couple reasons. I jotted down a couple reasons. One, we're so desensitized 
we don't even notice them anymore. We're so surrounded with them. It's just so, we're so consumed in it. It's, it doesn't even ring a bell in our mind. Or how about this? They don't seem that dangerous. They don't seem that dangerous because we don't have the glasses on to see how they're competing gods. They don't seem that dangerous. Or here's the, the one that's maybe takes a little bit of more authenticity or honesty with ourselves is they get part of our worship too. They get a piece of our worship too. And so we're hesitant to call them idols when we bow consistently to them. Maybe we're just so isolated we don't even see them. I don't know what the reason is, but here in this time, in this moment, in this city, Paul is provoked. He's fired up. Oh, that we would be fired up by the idols around us. Look at his response in verse 17 to being provoked. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Here's the thing that I wanted to point to in this section. What does it start with? So, in other words, because of. Because he was provoked, what does he choose to do as he's provoked? To proclaim Jesus Christ to anybody that crosses his path. Instead of, here's the, here's the opposite of how we typically respond. When we're, when we're provoked by idols, we go on a campaign to take out the idols, right? We, we're we're going to boycott Target, and we're going to stop watching films in Hollywood. You know, we, we go on this campaign to rid ourselves of the idols. Instead of what Paul approaches it, he understands what Calvin understood is that if you take out one idol, guess what? The human heart factory is going to make a new one. So instead, he says, you know what? The only solution is to elevate the one God, the one man of Jesus Christ that will satisfy the longings of people's hearts. Do you track with me what the, his approach is? So it says that he goes into the marketplace. The marketplace in that day and age, you know what the name of the marketplace was called? The Agora. Huh, interesting title. So he talked to, in the Agora, he talked to everyone possible. On Sundays, he would engage in the synagogues with the religious people. During the week, he would go out and engage in the marketplace with everyone that he crossed his path with. And it wasn't a one-time event. It said that he kept on doing it. Every day, he was in the marketplace. Oh, that our faith would make it into the marketplace. We have such an American secret agent faith that we're just like, you know what? It's personal. It's between me and God. But no, that's, that's not what's demonstrated in scripture. That's not what I see. I see a faith that breaks into the marketplace and is proclaimed even at the risk of being called names like a babbler, right? Like, uh, when's the last time you've been called a babbler? That's a good one, right? A babbler, by, by definition, a babbler... Uh, is this. A babbler is a seed picker, someone trying to be smart, but only piecing together others' ideas. You see, in that day and age, they really had two different camps of ideas. You see it right there in the text. You had the Stoics, that would be the one group, and the Epicureans. 
The Epicureans was one camp of thinkers there, and they followed the philosopher Epicurus. Makes sense? And what this philosophy was, tell me if it uh, resembles anything in our culture today. They were committed to doing whatever felt good. If it felt good, do it. That's the Epicureans. Basically, they believe that there is no accountability to any God and no ramification to anyone's actions. So they went down every possible road that that would take. Now, the other group, the Stoics, the Stoics, and that, that's, a, that's actually a, a more intense name. They followed a guy named Zeno who taught that reason was king, not led by passion or feeling, but human intellect man's knowledge, whatever man could come up with. So you had the, the pleasure seekers and those in their pride of human accomplishment. Are those people still around here in this day and age? I would say things haven't changed a whole lot. They weren't quite sure what to do with Paul. So again, they called him a babbler. Some though thought that he was uh, bringing foreign deities to the, to the table. At first I read that as I was like, is that an insult? I don't believe that it was an insult. He, they were excited at the possibility. Maybe they had missed something that foreigners had come up with. In their idol factory, they're like, oh, shoot, maybe we missed one. So he gets an audience, verse 19. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus. Somebody corrected me on how to say that. I still don't know how to. Saying, may we, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. That interesting description. So here he's brought before this group, this audience, because they're curious about the foreign divinities that he's explaining. They brought him before this group called the Areopagus, which would have been in that day and age, that would have been their city council, or you might even say as extreme as a supreme court. It's where the governing body of the group met. Here's a picture of where they met present day. If you still wanted to visit there, that would be called Mars Hill. So they had a convening of kind of the governing leaders of that time. And that's what they brought before. And that group didn't just determine things that had to do with the law. They also evaluated or determined if a new idea was worthy of being incorporated in the city's religious thinking. Are you tracking with me? But here, it was presented as something kind of casual. Hey, just come together. We'll share ideas. But there was actually more at stake here. If something was determined that you were bringing false ideas to this collection, you could get yourself into trouble. In fact, 500 years prior, a guy named Socrates, anybody hear of him before? Somebody told me that's pronounced Socrates. I don't know. Either way, he had engaged there about, in about 399 BC. At 70 years old, he was accused of something. He was accused of presenting a new idea. The new idea, after he had looked across the scope of all of the gods in the city, even back then, guess what his new idea was? There is no way all of this came from all these little gods. There must be one greater God that did all of this. So he brought this idea to the table to a council that existed in that day and age prior to this. That council was concerned that his ideas would be shunned by the other 
many gods, and so he was held in contempt. He also had some ideas about democracy they didn't like, but he was held in contempt, so they, they didn't like his ideas. They asked him, Socrates, what do you think should be the punishment for your ideas and your rejection of these many gods? Guess what his response was? I think you should celebrate me like an Olympic athlete. That's what he said at 70 years old. So that was his idea of an appropriate response. But instead, they made him at age 70 drink poison and die. So he died for that belief. So based on that, he had a student. Maybe you guys have heard of his student. His, name, his student's name was Plato. Anybody hear of that guy before? And uh, of course you have. But uh, Plato, in, in response to this, decided to carry on this idea and introduced, pushed forward the idea in that city. This is fascinating to me just as I was researching this. It's not in all history books. Uh, but this idea that he brought forward the idea and presentation of an unknown God. Are you tracking with me? He presented to them just the possibility that maybe you guys have missed a God in this city. So they agreed on that and they had altars in the city for the unknown God we're going to learn about in a second. So this is the audience that he's, that he's going before. An audience that was fascinated with the unknown. Why are they fascinated with the unknown? Because they had come to the end of the idols they already created and weren't satisfied. So they're constantly hunting for more. There's got to be more to this. There's got to be more. I was hearing the story of Beyond Borg. Do you guys remember that tennis uh, player back in the uh, 80s? Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right either way. I, I don't pronounce things right. Uh, so anyway, here's, here's the, the story that I heard about him. He finally, after all of his pursuits and energy and effort, he finally won Wimbledon, which is kind of the, the pinnacle uh, to win in that, in that field of, uh, of tennis. He gets the award and he's quoted as saying, is this all there is? Is that it? Is that, is that it? Like, after reaching to the very heights of the heights of all of his pursuits, he's like, there's got to be something more to this. I'll, I'll maybe continue my search elsewhere. That's similar to this audience here. And so they have Paul because they're fascinated with what he has to say. They're giving them an opportunity to speak, which Paul doesn't mind that. Verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said... Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, mankind should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. I love this. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we are not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times, listen to this grace, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere 
to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Pretty intense, right? Can you imagine this? Imagine this scene. You're Paul. You're standing before this audience. And what do you get? You're like, I got one shot. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. He's nervous, but on the surface, he's calm and ready. No, I'm sorry. Uh, But he goes in. He has one shot to talk. He has one shot, and he takes the opportunity. Sorry, there's a little Eminem in there. Uh, He takes one opportunity. He has one chance to get their attention, and he lights it up perfectly. You notice he doesn't go into a a tangent about scripture. He knows that his audience doesn't know scripture. Instead, he meets them exactly where they're at. He starts with a compliment. He's like, you know what? I noticed you guys are pretty religious. I noticed that about you. You're you're quite religious. I'm sure he's like, but clueless. But anyway, he's like, you're religious. He says, but in my search of your city, I found this, this inscription on one of your idols called what? The unknown God. But good news here today, folks, I can tell you who that God is. I can explain to you. We can fill in some blanks here, guys. Over the last 500 years, you haven't solved it since this idea was introduced, but I'm going to solve it here today, that there is one God. And he goes into perfectly describing our God. He made everything and everyone. He's not too small, not small or man-made. He does not need anything. He made us to seek him. And even though he may feel far off, he's close In fact, not only did he make all of us, he set the course of our lives and he sustains us. He then quotes poets they would be familiar with. Again, another cultural nod. Eponidas and Eratus both had written these things. In him, we live and move and have our being. Isn't that fun? That was uh, some scripture that we often quote, but it actually started with an author prior to scripture. Then he says, for we are indeed his offspring. This cultural nod shows how close they had been to seeing the true God. He's encouraging them. there. He's like, you, you've seen evidences of him. You, you've got a clue of who he is. You acknowledge that this all came from something. Think about that even present day. What are some cultural nods that we see around us pointing to the existence of a God and a need for a savior? Anybody notice how often on the big screen we're seeing superhero movies? Like we're obsessed with these movies. Like every month there's like, oh, there's another version. Oh, there's another version. What's the running theme we see in all of them? Mankind is in very big trouble and they need what? Rescued. And you have to choose whether you're going to be on the good side or the bad side. Ah, that's weird that man would come up with that. It's almost like something's written on his heart. Like something's, something makes sense. You see there he's pointing in that culture to what they're already observing. And he's bringing it to light, filling in the blank, ultimately pointing to the fact that one day we're going to stand. And that day's coming before a God to give an account. And that God is evidenced by the fact that he was raised from the dead. All of this with all these great minds and thinkers are all still pointing to what? The same gospel message, Jesus Christ and his rescue of mankind. I love that he offers the solution back. He says the good news is that because of their, they've, they've had their ignorance overlooked. I like that idea. 
at their ignorance. This, this time of not knowing is going to be past. You're, you, God's willing to allow you to repent and come back. Your ignorance can be overlooked. And isn't that awesome? That's still the message that we proclaim today to people that haven't heard about Jesus Christ. Your ignorance, you've been so close, you're so close, but you've missed it. And your ignorance can be overlooked if you repent. Take a look how they respond to that. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among them also were Dionysus, another name I can't pronounce, and the woman named Demarius and others with them. Basically, three responses. One, they mocked him. What did I say about the Stoics? The Stoics, if they couldn't make logical sense out of it, they were rejecting that idea. Still today, very similar. If somebody can't physically make sense out of it, no thank you. Here, so that's one group. They mocked the res in response to it. The other group, I found this one interesting, but others said, we will hear you again about this. In other words, maybe next week, let's grab coffee. We'll talk about it. We'll chat about it. I, I want to hear more about this. And what happened? This was the very last time that audience heard that message from him. That next day, that maybe later, never came. That maybe that, 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 that polite procrastination never happened. Remember some years back living in Chicago and a, a pastor had talked about an opportunity that he had just a short, brief one to interact with Michael Jordan about spiritual things. He asked Michael, he said, you know, what, what are your thoughts about the idea of following Jesus with your life? He said, and his response is interesting to me. I'm not quoting it verbatim, but basically he said this. He said, you know what? That might be something that I do later on in life, but right now I'm having way too much fun. Think about that. Sometimes people have this idea, maybe later, and that later never actually comes. It never arrives, the postponement. So that's the two different mocked, postponed, and then a few did what? They chose to do, take him up on his offer to repent and believe. Repent and believe. He presented the way back, and you know it wasn't a whole lot of people because how, it only lists three names, right? Only three names mentioned. It mentions maybe a few more than that, but likely a smaller group that took him up on the offer to destroy the idols and come to the one true God. Remember some years back, I was leading at a, a young adults camp and we had this uh, retreat and we had a chance where we were talking about idols and uh, we were talking kind of visualizing and we can put that list back up there of the idols that we mentioned earlier and kind of reflecting on, you know, which in your life is the idol that tugs at your heart? Which, which one of those is the one that keeps on, if we're honest before God, keeps appealing for our affection? Which one is it? Which one was it? We had the opportunity. Each person had a, a bag or they had bags in there and they got to take the idol and they slid it in the bag and then they had a chance. And I'll never forget the sound of that with literally hundreds of kids in the room taking this. Should we do it? Taking it and shattering the idols. Well, sorry, that didn't get you, did you? Okay, good. But shattering the idols, breaking them up and saying, I'm done with that. That, that, that's, that's not going to be the object of my attention any longer. I repent of it, and I'm coming back to the one true God. That invite still carries on today. 
Literally, after all these generations, the same invitation is true for us, not just the non-believer, but for the believer as well that's allowed other things to sneak in as the object of our worship. My hope, even this morning, for us to do some honest reflection, is there something that snuck in, that, that weaved its way, that's maybe even started as a, as a good thing? Maybe started as something that, hey, that wasn't such a bad thing, but it's consumed you. It's gotten to be too big and become elevated beyond our loving and perfect God. The offer is to come back and to redirect our worship back to the one worthy of our worship. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, I thank you this morning for this section of scripture Thank you for Paul's response. He didn't just see his interactions there in the city as an opportunity to relax and just engage with the culture, but literally was provoked by the idols he was surrounded with. Oh God, if we were provoked in that same way to see the danger and the harm that they can cause the human heart, that our eyes would be open to that that we'd respond similarly to Paul that moves us not to fight the idols, but to introduce the one true living God. What a beautiful picture that would be. But for some of us, if we're honest, there's some idols before that's possible that need to come crashing down in our own life, some things that need to collapse. As I'm speaking to this room, I'm speaking to myself as well. Every single one of us has the propensity for that. God, I thank you for your patience, for your grace in all of this. That you're on this hunt, this pursuit for an intimate relationship with us just by bending our knee appropriately towards you. Thank you for that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. When we do seek and pursue the one and known God, it changes everything. Praise the Lord for that. I pray that we live in that, that we chase after him rather than all the idols around us. Amen. Going into the week ahead, God bless you. If there's a way that we can pray for you following the service, we'd be thrilled to do that. Also, as you're leaving, if you're interested in helping with our benevolent offering, you're welcome to do that. We do that once a month for people in need in our church. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.